there's something for everyone in every sermon. When I preach a sermon, it's like math. You teach a child his numbers, you teach someone else calculus and everything in between. I have to, as a pastor, feed people who are on the calculus level of the Bible, and I have to feed people who are learning their numbers and everything in between. And if you will come with an open heart, God will speak to you every week, I promise you. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We've begun a study in the book of Revelation, and although this particular book of the Bible can prove challenging, Pastor Carl is committed to illuminating it for all, regardless of their level of spiritual maturity or knowledge. We've already looked at the four different perspectives theologians take on the Revelation, and as we pick up today, Dr. Brogy talks a little about the human author, the Apostle John. So this is not a revelation of John the Divine. He's not saying, we're going to tell you in this book all about St. John the Divine. No, this book is about Jesus. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. He's the hero of this book. In fact, he's the hero of the whole Bible, all 66 books. It's about Jesus. The revelation, it's a genitive. Some of you had modern English when you were in high school, which was a failure in the American system. You needed to learn real English. When I went to seminary, I discovered I got to go back and learn real English grammar to understand Greek grammar. But this is a possessive thing. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He owns it. Because it is about him. And what is interesting is not only is Jesus revealed, we will see that he is doing the revealing. Let's read a little bit further. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. God the Father gave this revelation to God the Son. A careful reader is going to ask, in what sense? Was God the Father showing the omniscient, glorified Son of God something he didn't obviously know? Obviously not, because he is omniscient. So in what sense did God give it? Now remember within the Trinity, God affirms the equality of Father, Son, and Spirit. But while they are equal, they are given different roles, just like in a marriage. A man is equal to his wife, but he is called the leader. He is called the head of the home. So, for instance, when Paul describes that truth in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. And so, within the Trinity itself, the Father takes the leadership role. With that said, he gives this revelation to Jesus Christ because as we study Revelation, we're going to see that Jesus is going to enact the truth that is here. He's going to be the mediator of these truths. He's going to dispense the judgments that are described in this great book. Let's read further. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show. Again, this is an unveiling. God wants you to see something. To show who? To show his bondservants. Now, the apostle John calls himself a bondservant, and then the plural is used here to describe Christians at large. We are bondservants. So, if you are the Lord's bondservant this morning, if you've been saved by grace through faith, God the Father gave permission to God the Son for you to read and understand the book of Revelation. 
John describes himself as a bondservant, and he describes us as that way. It's the word doulos. It's not the word diaconist that is usually translated servant. It's the word doulos that is translated slave or bond slave. But understand, when the New Testament applies this to believers, it's not an involuntary slavery like we had in America, which was an abomination to God. It is a voluntary slavery. Understand, in Rome, when the Roman culture would take over a people, they didn't put everybody in prison, but they made them slaves. You could be a doctor, a lawyer, a scholar, a uh, a tradesman, and you would be assigned to a Roman family. That's why in the early church, you have believers and unbelievers together where one is the master and the other is the slave, and instruction is given because you are assigned slaves by the Roman government. But unlike the slavery that we found in America, the slavery that John describes was a voluntary slavery. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Most of you know the Old Testament was written in Greek, I mean in Hebrew and Aramaic, almost all Hebrew, few chapters in Aramaic. But because most Jews lost their ability to speak Hebrew, they had a Greek translation of the Bible. Most of us this morning aren't reading the Greek New Testament. We're reading our English Bible because that's our lingua franca. That's our language. So when you go back to the Greek translation, you see this word illustrated. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy 15. Moses wrote, if your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, and I won't go into that, why they do that, but then he shall serve you six years, but in the seventh year you shall set him free. When you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day, it shall, be, it shall come about if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you in your household since he fares well with you. And the parallel text, it says in Exodus, but if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, my, uh, and I will not go out as a free man, then what were you to do? Look, listen to verse 17 of Deuteronomy 15. Then you shall take in all and place it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. There's the word doulos. It speaks of a voluntary slavery. Some of your translations don't render it uh, slave, but bond slave, because they want you to see this is a voluntary slavery. Paul says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, you are to glorify God in your body. So this book is not simply a book about the future. This is written to God's bond slaves. And by the time you are done and you see the unveiling of the Lord Jesus, not only are you saved by grace, and in that sense, we're all bond slaves. And if you're here today and you've never been born again, Revelation is going to be extremely difficult for you to understand because you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you will help illuminate. I'm not saying it's easy to understand. It's the meat of the word. But there's something for everyone in every sermon. When I preach a sermon, it's like math. You teach a child his numbers. You teach someone else calculus and everything in between. 
I have to, as a pastor, feed people who are on the calculus level of the Bible, and I have to feed people who are learning their numbers and everything in between. And if you will come with an open heart, God will speak to you every week, I promise you. I'm learning every week. I feel like I'm just in geometry right now. I haven't even reached calculus in my years of the study of the Scripture. But we need to study the Word of God. But please understand, what God wants to do is He wants you to grow in that desire to be a bond slave. He is going to invite you to the doorpost as he unveils the Lord Jesus where you say, Lord Jesus, I am your slave. I am here to obey your will. Now remember, everyone in this room is a slave of some type. Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So reading further into the verse, he says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his bondservants by his angel to his bondservant, John. So what does it mean to be a bondservant? It does not mean his will rather than my will, but it does mean his will is my will. Out of love and appreciation. You surrender yourself to Jesus. You are not only saved by grace, but you are to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Because you grow in grace, you learn to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That's what the grace of God does. It's like Paul on the road to Damascus. He says, what shall I do, Lord? Not what would others have me to do, Lord? Not, Lord, what would, uh, not, not, but, Lord, what would you have me to do? I am your doulos, your bond slave. Not what others would do, not what others would have me to do, but what would you have me to do, Lord? And so John is going to unfold Christ for us that we might grow in our love for him and our appreciation of him, that we will grow in our slavery towards him. And again, if you are an unbeliever, this book won't make much sense to you and you would be wise to respond to that which you know and call upon Christ in faith. Because you see, a natural man, and that's the way we come into this world, he does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He doesn't have the spiritual equipment to appraise and understand them. Let's read further into the verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. The thoughtful reader will, of course, ask, what do you mean by soon? After all, this was written some 2,000 years ago. It seems to me that very little has taken place. Please understand that the translation soon, or in some of your Bibles, quickly or shortly, is from the Greek word taxis. And the word does not mean soon in terms of time. It means in a short period of time. In other words, once the events begin to unfold, these future events in the book of Revelation, they're going to happen very quickly, one after another. The word taxis, we get our word tachometer from it. If you grew up in the 70s and you thought you had a cool car, you would put a tachometer up there in the steering, steering column, you know, and it showed your RPMs. Now, I know that's standard equipment 
equipment today, but people would do it. I don't know, I think they thought their car went faster or something. But anyway, uh, it describes speed. You could translate it quickly, suddenly, that when the events happen, they will happen very speedily. Let's keep reading. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show him to his bondservants the things which must take place soon. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant. Now, you see the word communicated. Most of you are using the New American Standard. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, come tonight to meet the pastor. You will get a beautiful $70 Bible courtesy of a generous anonymous family in our church. But you will see a little footnote out there, communicated, and it will give you a more literal reading. In fact, that's the way the King James renders it, signify. Now, if you don't have a Bible and you come to church and you study Revelation, you're going to be lost. You don't know, you're going to not know which way is up. You'll get 20% when you could get 90% out of this sermon. So bring a Bible to church. I know some of you have been to churches your whole life, you didn't need one. You need one here. It's important. Communicate it, signify. You see the word signify out there in the margin? It refers to signs or symbols. It's a word that John loves to use in his gospel. He speaks about the signs or miracles. He doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. There are four words in the New Testament for miracle. And John uses the word samion. It's a specialized word. It means a miracle with a message behind it. And John uses the verb and the noun throughout the revelation to describe these signs, these pictures. And so he is telling us that God gave this revelation through signs and symbols, but they have a meaning behind them. So for example, in Revelation chapter 12, the devil is called the great dragon. And with his long tail, he sweeps away a third of the stars out of heaven. Now, those are symbols, but you will see within the Revelation and the rest of the Bible, those symbols are interpreted, and you discover that the stars in that passage are fallen demon angels, and uh, well, like when you're in Revelation 13, for instance, there's a beast that is coming up out of the sea. When you, when you see that word beast, you shouldn't think of some monster like Godzilla. Uh, the sea and the beast are symbols that are interpreted within the rest of the Bible, Sometimes a person will ask me, well, pastor, do you interpret the Bible uh, literally or symbolically? And my answer is yes. I, I, I do both. For instance, when uh, the Bible calls Satan a great red dragon, it uses that symbol to describe his ferocious and cruel nature. It doesn't mean that he's a, a literal dragon, and nor should you conclude, well, that's only a symbol, therefore there must be no devil. No, you want to ask, what does the symbol stand for? And then you literally believe it. So please understand that a, a symbolic interpretation does not deny a literal belief in the Word of God. You find out what the symbol means. And again, this is one of the reasons Revelation is challenging. Because nearly 75% of the book is an illusion from the Old Testament where the symbols are actually described. And this is why we did Daniel before we came to Revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you will notice here, there's five stages of transmission given in this opening verse. From the Father, to the Son, to an angel, to the Apostle John, to his church as we read it today. The revelation of Jesus Christ given to the Apostle John by his angel. We've seen this already, like in the book of Daniel, where the angel Gabriel came and gave Daniel the vision. 
So God will sometimes transmit his word, as Paul says in Galatians, via an angel. And in this case, he does it with the revelation. But this is about literal people and events that are described in symbols. And before we're done, you're going to see why God used symbols to describe, to signify this book. All right, now, it's all about Jesus. That's the central person. You still with me? Stay awake now. Come on now. All right, secondly, the clear purpose. We're almost done. The clear purpose of Revelation. Verse 2 says, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So the chief characteristic of this book is that it reveals not Messiah's earthly life, but his ascended life in heaven. All that he saw, the one who is in heaven. And so John is going to help us to see Jesus in heaven as our advocate, as our exalted, glorified, coming king. Now, Christ has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yet, um, if all we had was the Gospels, then you would just see Jesus as he walked upon this earth. But as we will see next week, we will see him in his glorified body. God wants to take him from the dusty roads of Galilee, and he wants you to see him as the exalted sovereign Lord there in heaven. You only see him for a brief moment in the Gospels at the transfiguration as the glorified king. But you will see him so differently all the way through the revelation. The first time he came, he came to a crucifixion. The second time he comes, he will come to a crown. The first time he came, he came to a tree to be nailed to it. The second time he comes, he will come to a throne to sit on it. The first time he came, we studied it last week, Pilate was his judge. When he comes again, Jesus will judge Pilate. He will judge all the living and the dead. The first time he came, he came in shame. The second time he comes, he is coming in splendor. The first time he came, he came to redeem us. The second time he comes, he comes to reign over us. The first time he came, he came as a servant. The next time he comes, he comes as a sovereign. He will come as Lord of lords and King of kings. He is the sovereign Lord, and you are going to see him in the revelation in a way maybe that you've never seen him before. He is not only the justifier, he is the judge. He is not only the redeemer, he is the ruler. He's not only the Lamb of God, he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He is the central person of the revelation. The clear purpose of the revelation is to reveal him. Finally, the comforting promise of the revelation. What a promise God gives us found here in verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, Revelation is a pretty amazing book, and it has an incredible challenge. It basically says, read me, I'm special. And if you read it, you will receive a special blessing. Now, there are many general admonitions all the way through the Bible to read the Scriptures and the benefits that come from reading it. But this is the only book that admonishes you to read this book specifically such that you will be blessed. Now, this blessing is given on three levels. Don't miss it. Blessed is he who reads. You should underscore that. And those who hear, underscore the word hear, the words of this prophet, and heed. Read, hear, and heeds. Blessed is the one who reads. Now, initially, that would certainly be in the first century for the lector. 
because most people did not own a copy of Scripture. And so it was critical that they did not neglect the public reading of Scripture. The printing press had not been developed. And God admonishes the lector to read it. And in his reading it, he would be blessed. But by application, post-printing press, virtually everyone here today has a Bible in their lap. As you read it, you too will be blessed. There is a blessing in it. Let me ask some of you, when was the last time have you read the book of Revelation? Have you ever, from start to finish, read the book of Revelation? Why don't you turn off the TV this week and take 65 minutes and read through it from start to finish? God says there's a blessing. But the beatitude is not only to the reader, but also to the hearer. And because it is the word of God, if you come with ears to hear, I mean really hear it, such that three hours from now you haven't forgotten what this sermon is all about when you're sitting on your front porch, but you really come to hear it, you will be blessed. As you read it, as you hear it, it will move you to know that there is a sovereign God in heaven who is actually in control of this mess that we are in today. Listen, sometimes your kids, you know the words are going through their auditory canal, but you ask them, did you hear what I said? Are you listening to me? Sometimes my wife says that to me, you know. <laughs> it's not enough just to have heard, but he wants you to hear it. Some of you, your phone vibrates in church, and I see you pick it up, and you text somebody, and you're so distracted. Put that thing on airport mode. Unless you're a doctor or a police officer and you got to be called, I'll put it on airplane mode. Come here to worship the living God and to listen to his word. Give him your full attention today that you might third heed the things which are written in it. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Virtually wherever you go in the New Testament, prophetic doctrine is interwoven with an exhortation to do something with it. God doesn't want to make us smarter sinners. He wants to make us more like Jesus Christ. You should read this book, but you must also heed this book. And if you read this book and heed this book, there will be great blessing in your life. The book of Revelation is given to change us, to make us more like Jesus Christ. And with a sense of urgency, notice he says, for the time is near. Now, there are two words translated time in the New Testament. This is not the word that refers to like a clock or a calendar, but it's the word kairos that describes seasons. John is saying the season is near. The next great era of God's redemptive plan is close at hand. Why? Because the return of Christ has been imminent. It could happen at any moment. It could have happened in John's life. He believed, and he should have, as did the rest of the apostles, that Jesus could have come when they were alive. Understand there has never, ever, ever been in the history of the church, not since it began and was birthed on the day of Pentecost, a single prophecy that needed to be fulfilled for Jesus to come and rapture or catch up his church. But the second coming of Christ that happened seven plus years after the rapture is prophecy driven. There's all kinds of prophecy that would need to be fulfilled. If it happened in the first century, then in the next seven plus years, Jesus would have fulfilled all the second coming prophecies and he would literally come to heaven. Now, how he would have done it, I don't know. Sometimes I thought, well, you know, the Antichrist is going to have worldwide control and be able, you can't buy or sell anything without his mark. How would they have done that? We know how they can do it electronically and otherwise today. How would they have done it in the first century? Maybe a tattoo. 
Um, in fact, maybe the Antichrist will use it. The way people use tattoos today, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a tattoo. I don't know how he'll do it. But I know he will do it. But the amazing thing is, is that in our lifetime, we are seeing literal, actual prophecy being fulfilled as it relates to the second coming, which tells me that the rapture of the church that precedes it is all that much closer. I mean, you look at the fact that Israel is a nation. People want to deny that. One popular speaker says, Israel is no different from Uganda. That is wrong. That is misrepresenting the living God and the prophecies that he gave and the promises that he made to the people of Israel. When you look at the moral climate of our day, like the days of Noah and the days of Lot, it is not by accident you say, Pastor, do you believe what you are preaching this morning? Yes, I do. And I hope you do. And I may not have every detail correct as we work through the book of Revelation, but I can tell you this much. There is a life to live. There is a death to die. There is an eternity that you will face. And someday the stars in heaven will literally fall. The sun will go dark. The moon will turn blood red. And the shrieking and the moanings of the lost as they are resurrected before the living God will literally happen. And when the mountains are shaking and crumbling and the nations are tottering and the foundations of this word are trembling, you will spend eternity somewhere, either with the living God or without him. Your soul is important to God Almighty. And what you do with Jesus... And the end will determine what God will do with you. You bow to him as Lord and Savior and you have a place in heaven. You ignore him and you will spend an eternity wishing that you had come to him. You may be here this morning listening through Facebook, live streaming through our own uh, webpage. Maybe you're listening on a Search the Scriptures app, maybe on television, maybe on radio. Maybe you're in Graniteville, Hilton Head, I don't know. But God brought you here today for a reason. And somebody you needs to be saved. And you can be saved today because Jesus paid it all on his cross. And if you will call upon him in faith, he will make you ready for an eternity with him. Now, Father, thank you for your word. It's truth. You told me, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And so as a pastor, you told me to preach the truth. And I've done that as best I know how today. And I pray that as we study this great revelation, that our hearts would be open to your word, that you would teach us the implications of all that is here, that when we are finished, whenever that happens, should Jesus tarry, that we will love him more fully and follow him more closely. Help someone today, Father, who's never received him as Lord. Help them to understand your invitation that whosoever will may come. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That whoever will call on Jesus' name will be saved. Help someone in simple, childlike faith to say, Lord Jesus, save me. And help them never to be ashamed of it. Help us never to be ashamed. Help us in this week that is in front of us to care for the souls of men and women. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to this or any of the messages in our series on the Revelation, you can use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, 
or visit our website, searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV1. And when you contact us, would you ask about supporting this teaching and evangelistic ministry? Our number again is 877-787-7478. Tomorrow, we'll begin a deep dive into chapter one. Join us then as we search the scriptures.